the NFL Podcast. This whole arrangement is absurd. From the Chris Wessling Podcast Studio, it's around the NFL. I'm Dan Hansis. There are heroes in this room with me. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Now that I've set the table, we will talk about professional football for the next hour or so. Well, you know, it's like we settle into these routines throughout the week. Every Tuesday is kind of the same Tuesday. And I think the way you just started this podcast is a fresh approach. Mm. that's going to breathe new life into mm. this podcast in particular. Mm-hmm. That would step be, out of that routine. Mm-hmm. That would have been valuable at any of that that came out of your mouth been sincere on any level. Greg. But it's true. That was a different. It, it woke me up. You I'll know, decide. What I was, um, you, you know, sending an email about, you know, some holiday party drama. And mm-hmm. um, it, it, Dan, I was like, oh, what's where's Dan going with this? Mm-hmm. I got to pay attention. I like That's good. Do you think take this me out is, of the routine? Do you think this is still a good podcast? Like, yeah. where do you guys come down on it? Actually, you guys are probably too close. B minus. Hit, hit or Erica, miss. Is, I mean, to, is this to, by the dictionary definition. A good podcast? I think it is one of the best. And actually, I'm, that's funny you asked. This actually wasn't a setup. I got a message this morning from some shadowy league figures. And apparently, around the NFL made pod tracks top 20 industry agnostic podcast rating, rankings for the month of November. What religion are you? Oh, I'm industry agnostic. <laughs> well, what is that? Like the PFF of podcasts? Yeah, it's no top podcasts. And we, the Daily, the New York Times is number one. NPR is two. Yeah, we bought are, them out. What we, are we are number 16 okay. out That's of 20. Good. That is huge. And that came from a shadowy league figure. Because I've always been under the impression that none of the shadowy league figures are aware that this is a podcast, that this exists. Well, now they've right. got the, you, you've got the iHeart deal. Right. There's some. Well, we don't got the high art. Need some ad money yeah, no, flowing in, and then they're like, "Huh? <laughs> these boys are playing with the big hitters." Yeah. Yeah. Producers. See, and speak. And oh, go ahead, Mark. Well, no. Would you have told us that had Dan not prompted you? Actually, well, yeah, I was going to tell you after the okay. show. I'm just. It's, it seems like important well, information to pass. I've often, you know, back in the day, this bothered. I remember Wes at the time. I think you guys too. I was saying like we're the Big Bang Theory of podcasts, not critically popular, and um, but just huge numbers. You but know, not we're making just, like, their money. We're coasting along right. and like, and we're doing great. We're in season nine. <laughs> the only thing is, we're not making six million dollars an episode, like all those actors. But. Uh, I was going to say enough of the navel gazing, but I did one thing I did want to talk about is Spotify releases. It's, you know, all the breakdown of your listening habits. And as happens every year, the wrapped, the wrapped very, you know, much welcomed all the fans that step up and send screen grabs that the, the top podcast was the around the NFL podcast. And so I want to give it a shout out to like guys like and gals. But this is a guy, Declan Mulvihill who listened to 100 episodes for a total of 6,567 minutes. And then like, okay, that's good. Good job, Deck, in a big spot. But then there's Jim Lorigan, who listened to 107 episodes for a total of 7,061 minutes. And that's pretty crazy. But it's not as good as Nick Lanza, who I don't know if anybody beats Nick this year. Try to top Nick, please, if you're out there. According to this uh, screen grab, Nick listened to 505 episodes for a total of 29,038 minutes. Uh, Nick, probably single. Uh, Nick, definitely loyal. And it's it's a um, it is a trend or it is something that people do connected to our show, Mark, which is they re-listen to past seasons 
uh, just to kind of follow the sport through the years. Of course, that also gets you back to Chris Wessling, and that's a great element of this. People will listen from two thir- 2013 onward and catch up to the show, and that's obviously something Nick did. There awesome, are guys. there are Love tons you. of deep gems in the past. Um, I find it interesting because I can't remember what we talked about on Sunday night at this point with the way this thing works. Um, if any of them are attached to uh, significant others or uh, burgeoning significant others, um, they'll be probably very annoyed with the individuals you just mentioned. There's a lot of time going in other directions, but I find them to be delightful. No, it's amazing. And their habits to be delightful. It's amazing, especially this year. I mean, we'll, we'll never have a year like this year that everyone stuck with us. I, I know, know. I know it was like a lot of people found it hard to stick with us uh, after Chris died, and I totally understand that. It, it was hard to keep keep going. Doing the numbers, though, of what Nick did. Sure. That equals 20 days. 20 days. Wow. 20 days of his year, and that's not counting sleep. So if you you know throw in eight hours of sleep here, that's basically you spent a month of his year listening to our podcast. That's wow. Amazing. To answer your your Somebody question, I, I adore. I know. Yeah, I mean, if anyone can top that, send it to us. Um, and if you can't, I think um, I think Nick deserves something. Nick, I'm sorry if someone tops you. You did, you Nick, don't get anything. Reach out to Ricky Hollywood on Twitter. Ricky, yep. I'm being serious. Um, on DM and uh, however you want to connect, and we got to send something. Yeah, for sure. Listener Definitely. of the year. And if you're Declan, sorry, you 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 got mentioned, but you're not getting a gift or anything. <laughs> well, I was just gonna, special. you know, to circle back, you asked if this is a good show. Ah, good show. A good show. Ah, good show. <laughs> ah. And um, Jet was brought up something that you guys mentioned on like the last, you know, Tuesday show. Who's driving to take finals at USC and is in all her stress is actually listening. I didn't even know she listened to ATN, and Jeez. she likes to be close to you guys, and she prefers the Tuesday shows. It's just a little bit less. A little looser. Yeah. yeah a little less. less but I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. She's well, awesome. she's full of surprises. I love that jet. Yeah. I love that jet. Keeper. A keeper. She's a real keeper. Yeah. Anyway, thank you to everybody. Don't f*** up, Ricky. Yeah. I would say that would be Regret Boulevard. Yeah, there's no coming back from that you gotta one. Got to bring that that plane in for a landing. Hey. Greg continues just to type uh, like a, what do you, uh, is it a novella you're working on over here while we're <laughs> no. staging an actual show? Greg totally unplugged, staring at his not unplugged. You Wait, Greg's not involved in my life? What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, good stuff. Let's get into the show. Uh, we're going to preview Thursday Night Football uh, Week 14 right around the corner, and it starts with a real great game. Uh, borderline, not quite, but kind of in that realm, Loser goes home match between the Steelers and Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, we will preview that game. Also, an old friend that we haven't had on the show in a while. We've tried, but she's tough to book. But we got her this time. Jane Slater, Cowboys Corner with Jane Slater. Check in on America's team where they're at as the season enters the home stretch. Uh, but before any of that, we got to close the door on week 13. And to do that, we talk Bills Patriots. Toss comes to the near side for Harris. He runs through a big hole. And he's gone to the 50. A burst to the 40. Alone to the 20. Damien Harris to the house. Touchdown, Patriots. Bob Sochi with the call. W-E-E-I. Zolak mumbling in the background somewhere. Damien Harris takes it all the way. It was the biggest play of the biggest win of the year for the New England Patriots who go up to Orchard Park and take out the Buffalo Bills 14-10 to in one of those really weird, fun primetime games. The weather, absolutely a factor in this game. 
uh, swirling winds, cold as hell. And it was the New England Patriots that came out on top. Mark Sessler, I know you love this. Mac Jones finished the day with three pass attempts. <laughs> they ran the ball 46 times, the Patriots, and they get it done. I adored it on deep levels. Um, I don't think this happens without a, a coach like Bill Belichick who is just leaning on decades and decades and decades of experience and total buy-in during the week while we're all talking about, like, will Mac Jones shine in the moment against this Bills defense? Will he make the throws we're expecting him to make? Yeah, he'll make three of them. And meanwhile, we're going to bludgeon a defense that's been overpraised uh, that was lashed by the Colts a couple weeks ago on the ground. They weren't afraid of the Buffalo Bills defense. The New England Patriots were not afraid of the Buffalo Bills defense. They did not waver from their plan for one second. Um, they weren't marvelous on offense themselves. They did just enough. But I thought that the way they executed, the way that every player basically just said, we're going to go in here and psychologically change the AFC East from the ground up. I mean, you had Sean McDermott coming out of this as testy as we've ever seen. Mm. You Let's know, listen to Sean McDermott. This right here. Uh, because obviously the narr- narrative that formed during the game was Belichick has really cooked a special one up here. And I think certain elements of the Bills, that rubbed them the wrong way. Let's listen to Sean McDermott. For a few shots on the broadcast of you, very visibly frustrated and, and animated. How would you just explain the, the psychological component of coaching against Bill Belichick, especially when he's doing something like that, just running the ball kind Yeah, it's not uh, – Let's not give more credit than we need to give credit to Bill Belichick in this one. It was, um, whether it's Bill or anybody else, they beat us, right? But you sit here and you tell me when they start with the average starting, when we start with the average starting field position at the 40-yard line and he starts with the 23-yard line, and I'm rounding up in both cases, and we were 1 for 4 in the red zone and they were 0 for 1 in the red zone, you give me that ahead of time, I'm saying I like my chances. I like my chances. I would just, I'll ask this to you. I mean, I, I get what he's saying to some degree, but aren't they also telling on themselves a little bit? They did have better field position. They did get into the red zone. They failed where the Patriots succeeded. I mean, this to me was about as big a loss as the Bills could have dealt with this season so far. I mean, those comments to me were so telling because they made no sense. I didn't know what he was saying. What, it was, what was he saying? That we were put in great you know, situations all night and we kept blowing it. He seemed to be pointing his finger at Brian Dable, the yes. offensive coordinator with those comments and throughout that press conference talking about that. They're not a physical football team. Sean McDermott hates this. When he came to Buffalo, the last thing he wanted was to be the team that can't run it in a game like this. And so I really take that from this game, that going into this Bucks game that the Bills are going to have, like McDermott is really stressing how much he wants to run the ball more, be a physical team. He hates that it's getting pointed at his defense when they only gave up 241 yards. But to me, like that is a legitimate takeaway. I watched most of this game thinking like, 
this is fun, but it mean it kind of means nothing. It's not really football. Like it is and it isn't. It it's like they had to take advantage of the situation that was there, but it's not a situation we almost ever see. I mean, there's a reason why Bill Belichick has never done this before. He's never had conditions to face like this before. And so it didn't tell me that much about like can the Bills win in good weather in a normal weather situation in the postseason. But the Patriots have the type of team that are built for almost anything. And they did six offensive linemen all game, and they had the fullback all game, and they made the Bills put three linebackers on the field all game, and it kind of worked. And if the Bills' offense was any good, then they would have thrown more. I think that's what people lost oh. in it, was that if the if Belichick was ever worried about the Bills scoring, they would have started throwing, which is why they threw a little bit at the end of the game. So let me attempt to, in my opinion, translate what Sean McDermott said. I think it rubbed him the wrong way, and it rubbed a lot of the players in the Bills the wrong way after the game. There was an interview between Micah Hyde um, and Jordan Poyer where a Patriots beat reporter asked them if they were embarrassed uh, to lose a game in which uh, the other team only threw it three times. And they were like, wait, what? We lost 14-10. to 10. I think what Sean McDermott was saying basically was, dude, look at look at the game. I know you're framing this as I was – I had um, circles coached around me by the legend Bill Belichick, but we won the field position battle. Uh, we were knocking on the door repeatedly in the red zone with a chance to win the game, and we lost, and that's why I agree with you. I think he's maybe Brian Dable. I think Josh Allen, too. Josh Allen missing throws that would have changed the trajectory of their season uh, down in the red zone, making bad decisions, taking bad sacks, mm. things that weren't happening in 2020. I think his frustration was, he sees the way the game was being presented to the public as Belichick beats McDermott and outthinks everyone, where really his frustration was we didn't execute, we were in possession to, position to win, and we failed. And my thought on the Patriots, because they deserve a ton of credit for winning this game, is Tom Brady's gone, and they still find ways to win games like this because they, are, they, they continue to be a really well-coached, well-prepared, uh, innovative thinking uh, organization and I do I do say I am very happy that Tom Brady's not there because that's why they won they went to the Super Bowl nine times and won six or seven of them whatever it was because you took this this Brady player who was unbelievable and this coaching staff which was unbelievable you put him together and that was once in a hundred years I I I think I heard you say it doesn't mean anything or you don't take anything away about the Bills. I'm not saying I that. Like, if, didn't disagree more. If if the Patriots had won or lost, like, it was a fun game, but I think going into it and watching it, I, I think it's dangerous to take huge sweeping conclusions. First of all, it's a close game. You know, it could have gone either way. But my thing is, like, th there were how many games? 200 games played this year. None of them were in conditions like this. This isn't. This is football because you have to adapt. But it also is not something that I think it is that meaningful for when they play again in a couple weeks necessarily, or like when the Bills are in the playoffs. It's. It was a total fluky, fun. Like we got to figure this out. Like intellectually, I was very entertained. But it's also kind of like not football if you can't do a forward pass in the year twenty twenty one. I. I just. I don't know. I guess I just look at it differently. That there's one football team I know of that would have ever come up with this concept in this right game. and that's what made that's what that so that means something to me because the next time they get together and everyone's going to say throw out that game because of the weather or whatever well it's like you're still going to be dealing with the fact that Sean McDermott can be saying a couple things in that in that press conference but one of them is that the Belichick Patriots dark cloud 
that they thought that they had swept away is back. And I think it is extremely right. frustrated to the Bills who are what one in four in their last one in their last bunch of games. I mean, they are going in the wrong direction and the Patriots are peaking. No one saw this coming two months ago. Right. They 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 made the mis- like expectations are so hard in the NFL. I think the Browns are finding that. The Bills are finding that. That's why I give the Packers under Matt LaFleur a lot of credit. The hardest thing to do is be very good year after year, and you can almost see them feeling that heat. Um, but I love that the Monday Night Football crew recounted a conversation they had with Belichick about like the difference between this Patriots team and last year, and it was like, better players. It's like, that is the main difference. Like, Damian <laughs> Harris pops that so that they can play this style of game where they're playing with a lead and don't have to be risky. They've got Juden and Barmore on, on the, in terms of the pass rush. They pressured Josh Allen 32% of the time. He didn't complete a pass when he was pressured in this game. I thought Allen played really well. Like, he showed, I, I disagreed oh, I with you not, a little bit. I, I think he showed the difference of like what the strongest arm in the league could do. If Diggs catches that touchdown pass or Dawson Knox doesn't play a terrible game, they don't fumble in the plus territory. Allen did about as well as I think a quarterback could have done in that I, scenario. You, didn't, you thought he handled the end of that game well in those two red zone drives? That's money time, and he did not make the plays. He got, know, calling timeouts, taking sacks, missing receivers. But that's it's also that the timeouts were on McDermott, and that's where McDermott has to own up to I blew two timeouts, one with an emotional challenge, which was a waste, and another when I didn't get the play in in time uh, to Josh Allen or not having my quarterback prepared with a play uh, to call. Not only that, I love that the Mannings pointed out when the Patriots had a third and long setting up their last field goal, the whole point of the play was to put their kicker on the on the correct hash. It was not what the Bills did on their last third and long at all, and the wind ended up hooking it. But left. all these things right. are the right. difference between – the Patriots coaching staff, and sorry, every other coaching staff. Yeah. Well, no one's really Right. I'm not arguing that. that. Well, no, but when this whole idea of like, oh, you know, let's not put it on Bill Belichick. Well, I do put it on Bill Belichick. I think if they'd gone and faced the Colts or a different team that last night, it's another team that would try to do the same thing they always do. The Bills essentially try to just be who they are. The Patriots, like, we're going to be something totally different. And yet, and yet. The, if the Bills execute better in the red zone, they win the game probably. That, because I think the margin why, for error, where, where, I guess it talking. created a very a small margin. There's only one play that I can think of where where that makes sense to me, and that was Zach Moss. On the first red zone drive when they're inside the 10, he's got the entire outside. And they haven't been playing Zach Moss because of mistakes like this all year. Like, there was a touchdown there to be run. Like, if Ramondre Stevenson got that ball, he's going around the edge and he's scoring a touchdown. And Moss just runs straight into the line and misses it. But I can't think of another play where it's just like the Patriots players beat them, including the last play where Belichick goes incredibly aggressive and going cover zero in that situation. And Miles Bryant makes a really great read to break up that pass. Maybe Not a good throw, throw either. No, the throw probably right. wasn't getting there anyways. But I, I was like, wow, that was a Their offensive line beat Buffalo's line all night long. If you're looking for they places the for someone. Yeah. I mean, they they just went in and they they, they dropped a bomb on them. Let and I will say, I'll say this. We got a rematch, and I think maybe this speaks to a little bit what you were saying, Greg. They have a rematch coming up in two weeks. And I do look forward to as fun as that was in the crazy conditions in a primetime game and everybody's enjoying it together on social media and, you know, the Mannings are, are digging on it. Like, I would like to see it. I want to see Mac Jones involved in the game. I want to see the Bills able to run their offense. I want to see these two teams kind of be able to play a normal football game. Uh, and that's why it's good they have a second matchup. This division race is not over. I know it feels over now, uh, but I don't think it is. But at the same time, the Bills, hey, gut check time because before they get the Pats – 
They get the Bucks. That is rough. And they are seven and five right now. So all of a sudden, it is really this is crucible time for the Bills. We'll see I have a how two truths react. and a lie coming out of this game. Okay. You all don't right. have to even answer. I just want you to right, think about it. it. In fact, don't answer. Do we have to agree or disagree? You or, don't have. A, two, or are they truths? These are three items. Are they opinions or truths? Three items. Okay. Two of them I consider to be truths. Okay. One not a truth. You Let's don't even it. have to respond. Item number one: the Bills are doomed. Okay. Just sit on it. Item number two, right. everyone is doomed. Okay. Item number three, I have a 25-year-old daughter. <laughs> One of those is not accurate. The other two are deadly accurate. I, well, I know you have a 25-year-old daughter. Right. So You that, don't know that. That's true. I think everyone in, is doomed is the lie because everyone includes the entire world. Uh, I'm not, I'm not um, putting us in there. Like, no, yes, no, that's we're, human. That's, we'll all die eventually, experience. but that doesn't yeah. mean doomed. I think the fact that you can have a lot of joy – and happiness on the way right. there, I don't consider everyone doomed. So we've agreed the Bills are doomed. Ricky, do you agree with that, if you're listening? I'm, I, <laughs> oh, wait, of course I'm I listening. I just said the Bills are doomed? Shoot. I, I just, yeah, I don't know. The Bills oh, dropped yeah. down to seven, seventh seed. Like, they have a lot of ground to make if up. If there's one thing I know is to be sure about anything in the AFC. That's that's a good place. I tried it last week, and it went really well. <laughs> so here we are again. All right, so that's Monday Night Football. And, that was uh, fun. Let's. Uh, it was fun. That was cool. I, I do love weird weather. When the flag on top of the upright disappeared, it was like, okay, <laughs> it's about it's about to get nuts. It's about to it get took, crazy. Yeah, it, it like added juice and took juice out at the same, at right. the same time. That's why it's good that we're going to get another matchup, and hopefully the New England weather cooperates, uh, but who knows. All right, let's take a break, and then Jane Slater on the Cowboys. All right, time for a guest, and it's a good one. It's our friend. We've been working with her for a long time now, and now she's back on the podcast. Jane Slater, who's all over the Cowboys, Cowboys corner, I call it, with mm. Jane Slater. Welcome back to the Around the NFL podcast, Jane. I long for our day sitting poolside and talking football, and I've got a little <laughs> bit of FOMO knowing that you guys are going to be at the Christmas party, and I can't. So if you guys could just FaceTime me in, that'd be awesome. Mm. All right, we could bring you in on that. We absolutely can. So... Jane, uh, we're trying to make sense of the Cowboys right now. And yeah. I, I know they – so they get the job done on Thursday night in New Orleans, and that's a, a Saints team that's got all sorts of problems. Their defense got it done in the third, fourth quarter there. Uh, so you snapped the losing streak. But do you get the sense right now that the Cowboys are on a good trajectory, or is this a, still a searching team that's in a little bit of trouble as we hit the home stretch? You know, I do a podcast with a bunch of the beat writers up at the Star once a week, and I found myself arguing with Steve Dennis, the moderator, because this topic came up, and I was defending the Cowboys based on their body of work during that 6-1 and stretch. They beat the Chargers on the road. Of course, they almost had the win against Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. Uh, and I thought that there was some convincing signs that this team was equipped for a postseason run. And then they sort of, after Dak got injured, and then they lost to Maury Cooper for two games. And then to see them play in that Saints game that you just referenced, the Saints didn't have their two starting defensive ends, their two starting tackles. They didn't have Alvin Kamara. And they had Taysom Hill, who's been dealing with plantar fasciitis and hadn't played four quarters yet. And they kept the door open for the Saints heading into the second half. Now, they were able to get Tony Pollard going, that 58-yard touchdown. And, uh, of course, there was that one ref call that the NFL admitted they sort of messed up. And if you talk to the Saints, that took the steam out of uh, what they were doing. But I look at that Raiders overtime loss, uh, the Broncos loss. 
they're a confusing team, but I got to tell you guys, if you look at the Rams and the way they've been playing, or you look at the Tampa Bay Bucks, I don't know what to make of this team mm. or the NFC right now. So the Cowboys are getting a lot of pieces back on the defensive side of the ball. And I really appreciated Dan Quinn's answer saying that if you had told me we'd be sitting here at eight and four in December without Demarcus Lawrence, not having Randy Gregory for a couple of games, um, he would have said, oh, wow. And essentially now this is cool. These guys have been battle tested. They're getting reinforcements back. And then they're playing a really weak NFC East here, three of their four games this month. So there's an opportunity there. But I would also submit, look at the way Washington's been playing. They're only two games back. The defense beat Tampa Bay Bucks, 273, held them 273 yards, picked them off twice. Then you see what they did against the Raiders. You saw what they did against Seattle. You saw what they did against the Panthers. This is going to be an interesting month for the NFC East. And I got to tell you, I don't know what to make of this Cowboys team right mm. now. They've got the talent. They've got the pieces. But for whatever reason, just the rhythm's been off. And if you got you guys, I'd be curious your thoughts because you're not as myopic as I am. What did you think of this offense and the way it played against the Saints. Well, I think, you know, you're pointing out and everyone following the Cowboys is sort of wondering what's happened to them since Dak came back, but you, there's reasons for it. And all these offenses around the league are going through ebb and flow and some slumps. I mean, the defense, if anything, has been uh, a huge bright point coming off of last year. And Dan Quinn has made that a reliable part of the team. I would ask it this way, like Kellen Moore's offense in general, and you can throw out last year if you want, um, but they get three years in a row off to very hot starts. Mm-hmm. And three years in a row, they sit, they tend to kind of, I wouldn't say flatline, but they lose some of their star power that makes you think they're that explosive. Is, it a Kellen, is there anything about the Kellen Moore offense that has, is contributing to what we're seeing? I'd love to have our research department look into this, and I, and I might, because it, it might be hard to quantify and qualify, but I think about the offenses and how hot they were but when they started to lose steam was when we started having problems with the offensive line. Think about Travis Frederick when he had Guillain-Barre syndrome. Uh, when I think about Zach Martin when he wasn't there with COVID. When I think about Lel Collins who had the suspension. When I think about Tyron Smith who's had injuries pop up. Everyone wants to point to that 2016 offense that was predicated around the run. Well, it was easy to run the ball when you had the Great Wall of Dallas. They haven't really had that. And they've also been playing with that offensive line a lot, which – we joke about around here because when we brought up the notion, was it last year or this year? I can't remember. It's all blending together. Uh, <laughs> the notion of the best starting five, and it was Mike McCarthy who said, we can't play fantasy football. Consistency is key. They haven't had a lot of consistency on that offensive line this year. And in fact, they've been tinkering with things not only during series or in-game, uh, but throughout the year. And so I think they're trying to figure out what to do with that left side and Connor Williams. I'm just not so sure... Uh, that some of these games are the place to do it. It's like I always have a theory with the Cowboys that they stink in the years that they're coming off good years because it's like they're just such – first of all, their ownership like <laughs> tells them how great they are all offseason. They're like – they're celebrities, I think, in a way in Dallas that almost no NFL team – um, is in their hometown and they just come out the next year and they're like always disappointed. I almost wonder if that like happened halfway through this season because Jerry Jones started talking about like, like they're, this is the greatest team ever. And I have this vision of the Cowboys who to me on paper are actually the best team in the NFC. 
and I still and they're actually healthier now than almost any of the other NFC teams and they're they're going to have everything in place for the next 5 games it's in front of them but the Cowboys team that's in my mind is the one that destroyed the Eagles and the Panthers and that was like 2 months ago now like they got to start showing up do you think they almost started buying their ho- own uh, Jerry Jones hype Not too the early Cowboys. in this season What's the analogy in dating that every time a man says he's sorry, you start to love him less? I feel like that's the Cowboys like fan base. It's like every year they're like, we're going to come back next year. And it's like I, I've noticed, I mean, my father is literally, he carries the flag for this. He's the type of guy that literally starts the first quarter with that Cowboy flag, flag playing, you know, flying in the front yard, and then he takes it down. Not dissimilar to what happens with the Texas Longhorns. <laughs> Um, but I think think the reason why people were so um, high on the hog this year was because of how bad this team was last year. I, I kept saying if they got a middle of the pack defense, this team could be special given what they had on offense. I mean, they have an embarrassment of riches when you look at their three wide receivers, not to mention you've had guys like Cedric Wilson, Maurice Kennedy, who have sort of come out of nowhere that are receiving threats. You've got Tony Pollard that can give you the burst for 50 yard touchdown you haven't gotten much play out of your tight ends. That's fair. Um, but when you look around the league, what other teams have that many weapons in the NFC? I mean, there's they're, not a And lot. they're all back. The O-line's back. It's healthy. Like, the weapons are back. Yeah. They're healthy. And now the defense is back. It's healthy. So show it to me. It's Washington twice. It's the Giants. It's the Cardinals. It's at Philadelphia. It's a very interesting, I, you know, division-heavy schedule here. But to me, it's still all in front of them to go get that two or three seed. And I do believe that team can I, return. Two or three I seeds. Think it will. I, I just I keep thinking if they had ten other Dak Prescotts on that offensive side of the ball, this team could really be special. And I'm not taking mm. away anything from like the Zach Martins of the world or um you know, the Tyron Smiths or even Ezekiel Elliott, who's been battling through the right knee, which you could argue is that the best thing that they should be doing right now is keeping no. I would have sat Zeke against the Saints personally, kept him fresh for some of these divisional games, but that's above my pay grade. I'm just here to report. Um, I, I just, they just, for whatever reason, can't seem to put it all together. Although I would submit, I don't think any of us expected them to be what the four seed right now and the NFC, given what we saw last year. So I don't know. Just keep the expectations low and you'll be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah. I think you look at the schedule here, Jane, and it does look it. I think because of the slump here, and because of Green Bay, Arizona, and Tampa, to me, being the clear class of the NFL, not just the NFC, um, I think right now it's like, all right, let's go 10-7. and seven. Let's win our division. Uh, let's get a home game in the playoffs. And hopefully things start clicking again. Um, do you think, and I know you said like 11 Dax in their set, so you don't put anything in like the splits of the calf injury. He comes back, and, and I know he made some real money throws, some brilliant throws against the Saints as well, but – statistically, and when you look at the offense as a whole, they haven't been the same since his return. Do you think he's been hindered at all physically since his return, or is that a thing of the past? I I mean, to your point, you could say that, but then you see some of the throws that he makes and some of the throws that he makes in the fourth quarter, and you're like, this is not a guy that's feeling limited. I think, if anything, not having Michael Gallup for, what was it, five, six weeks, not having Amari Cooper for the two They've talked about this even coming into the seasons, how, you know, it takes practice to get the timing right with some of your wide receivers. And I think it could be a combination of that and then also a combination of whether he'll admit it or not, 
you talk to any extreme athletes who play in a, in a fairly dangerous game, once fear enters your mind or there's that hesitation, you're not playing as loose or as free as you used to. And when you're coming off two pretty significant injuries, and again, I don't think he'll ever admit this, and maybe it's not even conscious, but I just don't think that you're playing as wild or loose out there as perhaps we've seen him in years past. And that's smart, by the way. Like, that's what the franchise wants you to do. Uh, but I do think it's a combination of the O-line, not having the wide receivers there this year, having Ezekiel Elliott, who's been injured. I think all of those things, everyone wants a clear-cut answer, but I think it's it's a combination of a few of those things. But I do think that this team, if they can just get in a rhythm here again, they they are, to your point, I think one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. Now, can they be coached as well as some of these other teams um, and put it all together in order to make a run? I have a, a very quick question for you. Uh, you're in Dallas. You're a Dallasite, um, if that's the term. She's a Dallas debutante. Dallas debutante. <laughs> last time, um, you can give me a ballpark date on this. Last time you were at the Grassy Knoll, maybe for drinks, a picnic on the Grassy Knoll. When's the last time you were there? <laughs> Okay, so this, see, this is why I love coming on this show, Mark, because you speak to my soul and conspiracy theories and all sorts. Fun fact, I live a block and a half away from the grassy knoll. From Dealey Plaza. Oh, God. Suspicious. Yes. And, and, and exactly. And my sister and I had just been to Chicago to visit uh, my brother, and she dropped me off from the airport. And she was like, where was Kennedy shot? And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Like, we've lived in this city our whole life. And so I said, literally go a block and a half over and there's a big X in the middle of the street. When I worked local news here, there was a big debate. They removed the X. The neck, the X is actually where Kennedy was shot to signify where he actually was harmed. I don't want to get too graphic, even though I know you're really into that stuff, Mark. Um, Sicko. Where well, he I mean, was shot before they went it. under the bridge. But people stand in the middle of that street. X marks the spot for a photograph. It's right. so morbid. A little weird. Uh, but, it's like when yeah, Darren Ravel sent that video of his brains getting blown out and everyone was, was upset on Twitter. That, that That's Our how their president. morning started. But I got to tell you, I was I was, I was was disappointed right. that QAnon had this whole theory that JFK Jr. was making his triumphant return to help the Republican Party, which was fascinating to me. Um, since that he seemed totally legitimate the to, the, to the three of us, yeah. to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but JFK Jr. I, is one of the main reasons I went to journalism school. In fact, I have a bunch of rare George magazines <laughs> oh, sitting here wow. in my living room. I Good love bet. him. And I almost put on my Sunday best and went down there just hoping that he'd come back for me. Mm, well, maybe, you <laughs> know, happen, I know it hasn't happened yet, but we don't have proof that it, it won't happen. Uh, Jane, <laughs> thank you for joining us. And uh, and and men out there, single men out there, heed what Jane says. Never apologize for anything because it actually makes you more unattractive to the woman it's you great desire. Great advice. That's like the ever. only thing I remember. I was just like burned into my head. Jane. <laughs> Good Thanks, talking. Jane. All the wives are going to be giving me a call here. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> um, all right. There she goes. Jane Slater. And by the way, I'm, I'm blow, blew his brains out. Do you need to be so great? Well, yeah, Greg, that was an assassination. You took it to a place president? that was unnecessary. Well, I was trying to just put people in the minds of what that horrible morning on Twitter was like. It was um, it was something. It was. Uh, it Is was Darren Ravel still around? I haven't. seen I just him. remember it happened recently. People talked about the anniversary of him doing this, and I think <laughs> it was because I was 
too, um, impacted and saw this video that he put out there, which I had never seen before. Um, and it was a lot at 7. Oh, there's, there's a Pruder, Pruder film, film yes. essentially. Yeah. You'd never witness that. Well, if you if, no. you're, if you're getting cold called with that on Twitter, that no, would be I had rough. seen the I had seen the Natalie Portman movie, which does quite a graphic uh, recreation of it. Well, uh, it was a, a terrifying moment in the history of the country. Right. But it's it's kind of like. Uh, these videos of horrible things happening on Twitter. Like, you don't need to see them. Just, you know, you don't need to watch it. Watch All right. It. Well. <laughs> you know what happens. Dan, get us out of that. Uh, I will say, if you are ever in uh, Dallas, uh, the, book de- the book depository where Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, by the way, Mark. Um, Please. They have turned that upper level into a museum. It's incredible. I went there with Gonzo, actually. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a morbid thing. It's a piece of American history, uh, and you know, it, it's worth checking out. Spending a couple hours of your day. Um, all right. <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's move on. Let's hit uh, break, and then Thursday night football. All right. Thank you to Jane Slater. Let's now turn our attention to week 14 and, and to do that we bring in our girl Mrs. Jonas ah oh, there she is Priyanka Chopra Jonas get that hyphen in there Ricky we got hyphen there yep it is a double double last name situation little dub last name sitch in a big spot uh, and I hope that marriage stands the test of time now <laughs> The Pittsburgh Steelers and Minnesota Vikings. Whoa. It's kind of perfect. Yeah, Mark Mark thought this game wasn't going to mean anything for one of the teams, and then the Steelers went and revitalized their season with a stunning comeback against the Ravens. So they enter uh, this game 6-5-1. and one. They are in the thick of it in the AFC wild card race, and then you have the Vikings. Uh, the Vikings, who three weeks ago beat the Packers, and then lost back-to-back games at San Francisco and then it almost impossibly but possible at the same time if you knew this team to the Lions. So now they are in a essentially a must-win situation for the Vikings. And I would say Mark that the Vikings in a must-win situation given that given their talent and what they've shown at times this season makes me feel confident that they're going to perform well on Thursday night. But this is also now a different Vikings team than the one, for instance, that I looked at a couple weeks ago and saw a high ceiling. There's no Dalvin Cook. Uh, It's very uh, very unlikely that you have Adam Thielen, who suffered a high ankle sprain. So on a short week, I don't think he's coming back from that. Uh, So now you have an offense that's been compromised and a team in general that has to be a little traumatized after what's happened to them in recent weeks. Well, they they were, you know, toying with the darkest reality scenarios and the losing to the Lions, which we I think our show fairly called that is a realistic scenario with just with the way they've been. Um, it happened. It's now you got to deal with it. I like that they get Patrick Peterson back. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Justin Jefferson in this game with Thielen out. I guess if you're Pittsburgh, you're thinking we, we try to do our best to remove him. Good luck with that. Uh, he has... Nine more 20-yard catches since 2020 than any other human being on the earth. But if you're Pittsburgh, the one thing I kind of want to see, I thought at the end of the Ravens game, they kind of just said, this offense that we've been, let's just kind of give it to Big Ben. 
open it up a little bit, try to have him make some throws. And it just seemed you got the more comfortable version of Big Ben there. And he looked better to me than he had in other games. Is there any sustainability to that against this Vikings defense? Mm-hmm. Is there any identity shift that they want to cling to down the stretch? Because their offense has been mostly unwatchable, but that became the opposite a little bit against the Ravens, who were really banged up in the secondary, right, they, obviously. But so are the, the – the Vikings are not, rather. Patrick Peterson is returning. That's been the strength of their team is pass rush, pass defense. Uh, it sounds like Anthony Barr will be back. Eric Kendricks might be back. Like Those three guys being out for Minnesota was huge. And I think the biggest injury for Minnesota in that Detroit game was they didn't have their left tackle, Christian Derrissaw. And so they, they did the thing where they shuffled three different yeah, guys. Yeah, that was... And it didn't seem like it worked. And now you got to go up against T.J. Watt, who is coming off a three-and-a-half sack game where he was so disciplined with those rush lanes where I think he put himself in front for Defensive Player of the Year. I give him a little bit of an edge uh, for career achievement, too. Because the last three years, to me, he's been the best edge rusher in the NFL. And he, the Steelers go as he goes. I pointed out two weeks ago he was coming off an injury and he had his worst game of the season against the Chargers. He was backing in a big way, and he's going to get after Kirk Cousins. I think there'll be plenty of points in this game. I, think, I really do. And it's funny because I wrote about it in the Power Rankings yesterday, and then Big Ben came out today and said – this guy needs T.J. Watt to be an MVP candidate. We need to start looking at ha- him in that way. And it actually, not to give Ben too much credit, but it makes sense that this would be a year where a defensive player could get in the mix. It hasn't happened in 35 years since LT in 86. Uh, but I think Watt, especially, he's 16 sacks. He is. Uh, f- he needs to get to 22 and a half uh, to break that Fugazi Strahan record. And when you... Fact, when you think about the non-quarterbacks in this sport, uh, is there anyone that's as mm. important to their team, who's as valuable to their team as T.J. Watt is to Pittsburgh? <laughs> no, because I would say that if you – a couple weeks ago, the sack leader was Miles Garrett, and I think Miles Garrett is a star player, but T.J. Watt has talked about the way that you talked about J.J. Watt and – Lawrence Taylor back in the day because he's that focal central to the right. Greg, I'm, I'm with you that where he goes, they go. Right. And he, he makes such a difference in every play and that's going to be uh, a big mismatch up front. And yet, I don't know about the whole like Ben throwing the ball deep down the field is the new idea there. He, he, he did look better. I thought that was his best game. I agree with you. Mark. And it makes sense because Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are the best two players on their offense. So why not just keep throwing up to them when, it, when it's one-on-one? But Minnesota's had a way of doing pretty well against the pass this year. And the way they've been kind of weak is is against the run. I, uh, I want to see what Justin Jefferson does here in this big spotlight game. He is about to set... The, the record for the most yards that any receivers had in NFL history uh, through his first two years of the season. To me, he'd be right there behind Cooper Cup right now as Offensive Player of the Year. I'd still have Cup there for sure. Uh, and Joe Hayden has been out for Pittsburgh. And to me, that was the most surprising part of that game was like Lamar and the Ravens could not make that count. They're pl- they're playing guys that like Akilah Weatherspoon as a starter and stuff that like the 49ers cut like a couple weeks ago, and they're just putting them, picking them up off the scrap heap. Like, you should be able to win some matchups on the outside if you're Minnesota. If Kirk Cousins is really a top-10 quarterback, which I have him this year, like, you should be able to make some hay here. I think Jefferson is in that very um, elite club with Devontae Adams, maybe Cooper Cup, uh, where it really doesn't matter who's across from them on the field. They're going to get their 
make impact plays at some point. Or if you're getting doubled game. or whatever. it's Right, like- he'll get his. Um, so I think it's all setting up with like, okay, it makes sense for this Pittsburgh team uh, to continue their rise. But at the same time, this also makes sense in a season that hasn't made sense for the Vikings for them to play really well here. Um, I would probably I'm gonna pick the Vikings as in, in, because at five and eight they're cooked and I uh, I think they're gonna find a way to win. It would make sense to me. Like you, what was the uh, game you looked at last week? Uh, I think it was Chargers Bengals. Yeah, like oh, it makes more sense if both these teams are seven and five. It makes sense to me that a- after this Thursday, and this is real analytical, but <laughs> it checks out that the Vikings are six and seven and the Steelers are six six and one. That makes more sense to me. It's what I want. I think that's what we're going to get. It's what I want. It's what I'm rooting for. The Vikings are favored by three. And yet the, the vibes, and I know we're like leaning on last week a little much, but the vibes in Minnesota, like it is on the it is on the precipice. The Vikings Twitter, I mean, that losing to the Lions is, is just like the worst thing that can happen to you. And it is a home game. I don't know if that makes me feel better. Like if they're losing by eight points here in the third or fourth quarter, like Kirk Cousins getting a little tight and Mike Zimmer getting a little tight and the crowd being against them and like and there being like a firing after this game, like feels like it's at least on the table. Uh, you like if what? you could go like no, if you could give me ten no. to one odds of that, like I would take that. You're I also just, like your... if they lose by like twenty points in this game and Zimmer's not the coach next it week. It would have been that, a very rough three weeks for Zimmer. I'm just saying that these feels like it's possible. This is a these are nice Midwestern fans. They're gonna cheer the hell out of this. Minnesota team. nice. I don't think they're going to start hissing, and I I think it's gonna be a home field advantage. I think that place is gonna be rocking. I think it's one of the best. Home field advantages in the league. Mm, uh, I'm picking and I, the Vikings. And I could I could just see Ben really struggling on the road in this spot. I, I feel pretty good about it. Mm. I'll go Vikings. Uh, oh, no. 22, yeah, Steelers 19 in overtime. They're done. Right on the number. And I, by the way, we are four games away from, and we thought this would be a mythical thing that would take years to happen, and maybe it will, but an 8-8-1 eight, eight team. The Steelers are perfect to become that. Makes a lot of um, sense. I would enjoy to see that. All right. Very good. That is Thursday Night Football. Mark and I will handle that recap together. Two-hander, as they call it. Industry talk. They're back together. Industry parlance. Ah! You know? <laughs> you know, we had to, you know, there were some things to negotiate, but we're good. Right. We're it's back. like uh, Mike and the Mad Dog when it got to the point where... Uh, Mad uh, Dog wasn't invited to Francesca's wedding. Right, and then the wives had to get involved. And be like, no. Is it you're saying it's it is at that point? Yeah, that's, that's alarming to me to discover. That's how that. we were able to get the get together for Thursday. The wives got involved. Well, it's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go. That is Thursday night football. Um, we'll be back on Thursday. How about that? Um, with a full preview of Week 14, and then we will uh, have the mini pod. Thursday night, if Mark and I are able to kind of work through our issues, and then uh, I want everyone to, <laughs> I want everyone to, what did I miss? <laughs> everyone to have a good time uh, tonight at the holiday party. Uh, it's the big. I holiday. think actually you're sensing that something will happen at the holiday, at the holiday party, party that puts us in this bad bad situation. You got it. Okay. You nailed it. There's room for adventure when you when you present it. And wouldn't that be good? Because just to add something exciting to life. Yeah. Like some type of huge dust-up tonight at the holiday party. That Greg secretly Dance somehow lit the match on and then, right. you know. Then it's the Around the NFL podcast with Greg Rosenthal, his, his lifelong goal. <laughs> this is always your take here. It says a lot. It says a lot about what's in your head. 
Ricky, um, let's keep this music playing. We'll play it out. It is the holiday season after all. We'll be back. Until then, this is Dan Hansis signing off for Quiet Storm, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood, Jane Slater, the whole gang. Till Thursday, heed the call. <laughs>